Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. This program is about the article, Incorporating Medication Indications into the Prescribing Process. With me are three of the authors, Dr. Mary Amato, Professor of Pharmacy Practice, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, Dr. David Bates, Chief, Division of General Medicine, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and Dr. Gordon Schiff, Associate Director, Center for Patient Safety Research and Practice, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Boston. David, I'd like to ask you to comment on the following point. You know, most pharmacists uh, appreciate the patient safety and efficiency benefits of knowing the prescriber's intent when they process a medication order. Although this issue has been discussed for for many, many years, it's not yet a standard of practice in prescribing. Uh, In your view, what are the main reasons that we're not there yet? I think that there are a couple. The biggest one is that physicians have resisted doing it. And the main reason that they have is we're pushed to do so many things. But there are also issues with physicians being nervous about saying something is for an indication when there's not FDA approval for that indication. And many drugs are used in situations in which they're not FDA approved. And another challenge which we'll come to is we now uh, have implemented electronic health records, and most of them do not yet uh, ask providers to provide an indication. Okay. Well, Gordy, you say in the article that uh, now is the time for establishing indications-based prescribing. Why do you say that? Well, it seems like a lot of sort of the fundamental infrastructure is in place that really wasn't in place previously. Obviously, writing of the prescriptions electronically is one part that we've mentioned. Another part really has to do with the fact that there's so many drugs out there and so many different indications that I, as a primary care physician, it's really getting impossible to keep up with all these things. So I need, we're calling this real-time decision support to help me choose the best drugs. And this is a a way of approaching prescribing that embodies that. I think another reason why this is sort of a ripe time is there's a growing awareness of uh, patient safety issues, this look-alike, sound-alike drug mix-up we we know is uh, not uncommon. We know that Patients get, you know, the wrong patient's drug. So if they can go home and see that, you know, take twice a day for gout and the patient says, wait a second, I don't have gout. And this is sort of an error checking uh, feature that indications can provide. Well, let me ask you about something else you wrote. You said that fundamental paradigm and workflow shifts will be necessary to successfully integrate indications into the prescribing process. What did you mean by that? So currently, the pharmacists and others have urged physicians to put the indication on. As David said, that's an extra step. If I have to write for 15 drugs to go ahead and certainly on pencil and paper, that was a lot of extra work, even uh, electronically. That's asking a lot of extra work for me. However, if I start from the indication, so this is the workflow shift that we're advocating and visioning, and we've actually built a prototype to perform prescribing in this way. So let's start with the indication. So a person has headaches, and you, you click on that, and it asks you prevention or treatment, and it suggests a drug of choice. 
So I don't have to add the indication at any point. In fact, I don't even have to figure out what's the best drug. The computer, knowing the patient's characteristics and their formulary constraints and what drugs they were on before, can help me pick the best drug. So this is what I'm, we're calling a reversal of the workflow. Mm-hmm. Well, your, your article uh, identifies in a very comprehensive way uh, what it will take to transform the prescribing process to include medication indications. Could you tell us just briefly how you went about creating this game plan for transformation? We spent the first year, again, collecting input from stakeholders. What were the design features that were needed? And then we actually went out in the field and talked to individual clinicians and watched how they prescribe and had them think aloud, talk about different ways that their workflow worked and could be transformed. And so we did basically, you know, we did this requirements uh, search Uh, In addition, and probably the most important, ultimately will be the most important, is we had to populate the content. And Mary, do you want to talk to that? Uh, You know, what was necessary for us to actually go ahead and put what the drugs of choice were? Yeah, sure. It was to try to make some test cases to test out this prototype we did. We wanted to make it so that it was patient-specific and incorporated some decision support around specific patient recommendations for medications for specific patients. So um, Alejandra Salazar, another pharmacist and myself, spent a considerable amount of time going through and developing clinical scenarios, referring to guidelines, and then um, coming out with recommendations according to test cases. And uh, we reviewed the cases of the experts, and it took quite about a, a lot of time to develop the content around that, but um, we feel like that really helped uh, make it more patient-specific and quicker and easier to use. It means that the clinician who's placing an order is not reinventing the wheel each time they say, what should we prescribe for gout or for gonorrhea, but really is, is building on recommendations that have already been carefully vetted and hopefully from trusted sources and just ready to go once once you tell that that's what you're trying to treat. And that's what we right. observe when, when people try to uh, work on these scenarios in, in this uh, prototype that, as, as you said, we've tried to re-engineer the workflow here. Right, right. Well, uh, this is probably a good point to ask another question that I'm interested in. You point out that uh, ultimately there's going to be a need for a standardized database for indications information that'll uh, be accessible across all electronic prescribing systems. How might such a database be achieved? Well, there are a couple of ways that it could happen. This is something that could be developed by the companies that develop most of the medication-related decision support uh, companies like First Data Bank or or Maltem, or it could be taken on as more something that was done as a public good, but it will have to be built and then maintained. You know, I think it is likely to be quite important going forward, therefore, you know, it, it is something that needs to be done well. Well, the article points out that, uh, interestingly, there's no standard operational definition of the word indication. Give us a sense of the range of interpretations of that word. Yeah. So this is one of the challenges we faced in in developing this project, and I think still we face in the future. Is an indication a symptom, right? Is it a headache? Is that that the indication? Is it a diagnosis? Is it an ICD-9 code for a specific type of headache? Is it a problem on a problem list? Obviously, these many of these overlap. I mean, you know, somebody has diabetes as the indication for their insulin, and they have 
you know, type 2 diabetes. But there is some confusion about between diagnosis and indication. You know, I think in plain English, we're seeing the indication as being something important that kind of stands alone, which is the reason you're writing that prescription. What, what, why is that patient taking that medication? And so it should not only be captured from the clinician's end and maybe even pulled in from the problem list or, or, or what the patient or the doctor is writing in that note, but also perhaps mapped and translated into patient language. So, you know, hypertension would be high blood pressure. I'd like to, if I could, just tell two quick stories about some of the benefits of requiring an indication. One of the first drugs that we did this for was for methotrexate. Uh, and, and we were having problems in terms of safety with people using uh, methotrexate in chemotherapeutic doses when they were, say, treating a rheumatologic uh, condition. What we did was require for methotrexate that people supply an indication. That then helped us uh, deliver better safety-related decision support, and we were able to essentially eliminate the safety issue that we had with methotrexate. Another example relates to ondansetron soon after it came out. And there, the issue was that there were two different doses for ondansetron, and it was quite expensive at the time because it was still on patent. One was for postoperative nausea and vomiting, and the second was for uh, nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy. But without having the indication, we, we weren't able to uh, give the right decision support. And by asking people to provide the indication, we were able to save hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, a, a year because you can use a lower dosage for postoperative nausea and vomiting. Very good examples. Yeah. Well, the paper identifies uh, 10 major challenges and complexities of incorporating indications into the prescribing process. I'd like to ask each of you to pick one of those issues that you think is particularly important and discuss how you believe it should be addressed. Mary, could we start with you? Okay. I think I'll choose the complexities in transmitting the indication information because I know that often there's a chance to input indications in an electronic health record on the prescribing side that may or may not make it over to the pharmacist. We have an example of that in our EPIC record where you can associate a diagnosis with a medication and that goes into the electronic health record on the hospital side, but it does not get transmitted to the pharmacist, so the pharmacist doesn't have access to that, whereas you have to go through extra steps and add additional order details if you wanted to actually make it to the pharmacist. So I think it's really important to design systems that do um, send the relevant information and are interoperable between pharmacy and prescriber. So I'm going to talk about extra provider time and effort. I think that's the, the biggest one. It was number one on our list. It's really critical that this achieve the vision that Gordy talked about in which this uh, helps you uh, rather than increases your workflow burden. And I'll, this also relates to the, the conflation of indication and diagnosis, which Gordy talked about earlier. Now, when we order a lab and we want to have to say what uh, diagnosis is associated with that lab, Physicians are, are required to go in and answer a bunch of additional questions, which just absolutely drives them crazy. That cannot happen here, or uh, providers will just uh, reject it. Right. Gordy, what would you say? So, so this is one that's the most uh, commonly heard one, and I want to raise it up the flagpole in part to defang it. This is this idea about confidentiality and privacy. So do I really want to walk out with a prescription that says, take this drug for gonorrhea or for schizophrenia or sensitive diagnoses, HIV. We very much appreciate that there's a need to be sensitive to that. And in fact, the way we've gone about 
designing our protocol is that there's certain diagnosis, or particularly or mainly mental health diagnoses and sexually transmitted infections that were, by default, we don't have the, the indication print. So that indication would not be put on the prescription, uh, would not be transmitted, although the physician could choose to do that. I mean, in some ways, if somebody's on Truvada, it might be kind of obvious if somebody looks at their medicine cabinet or their their wife sees that pill bottle. So so they may recognize that, that it's really um, just as well or perhaps better to say what, it, what the indication is, even in these sensitive conditions. But so, so this has been one of the sort of constant worries over the years or things that people have raised. We actually think there's ways of of uh, obviating this uh, really by uh, the way we've, we want to design the, the, the new program, really making it optional, and that again, the default would be to keep it off in these sensitive conditions. Well, I appreciate uh, the comments of each of you on you know, some of the major challenges and complexities. Very interesting. Uh, David, I'd like to ask for your perspective on this point. As you and others continue to work on transforming the pres- prescribing process, What lessons, if any, do you think can be drawn from the generally unsatisfactory experience of clinicians related to automated alerts? And I'm thinking of uh, potential drug interactions in this regard. Lessons relating to uh, clinical support systems. What would you say? The single most important lesson is pretty clearly it's better to steer than to uh, use an interruptive alert. So if someone is kind of taken in the right direction, they respond really well to that. An example of doing this is uh, some of the uh, renal dosing decision support that we built with our old system in which the computer basically suggested a dose and frequency of a drug for you, and clinicians were very likely to uh, accept that suggestion. In contrast, the new application that we're using, what happens is you go all the way through the process, and then at the end, you get an alert that says the patient has reduced the kidney function, but we're not really sure what dose you should use for, for this medication. I mean, not surprisingly, decision support like that really doesn't work. Now, I think it should be possible to de- design the decision support around indications. So as Gordy described earlier, it really uh, helps you. You're, you're treating gonorrhea. You're not sure what the best regimen is for this patient. Maybe they have a a penicillin allergy and that alters things. This could really make it much more efficient for for providers and also help them just do a better job. So I I think we pay attention to some of the lessons we've learned in the past that this can really help rather than, than hinder. The final thing I'd like to ask you about, and anyone who wishes may comment on this, I'm curious, what do you think the next key steps are for successfully Uh, pursuing your agenda. What will be the driving force for this change relating to uh, getting the indication in the prescription for a medicine? The real answer is we're not sure. We we think it's sort of going to be a multi-pronged effort and initiative, and that's the way we designed this project. It's to try to get a whole broad range of stakeholders to understand and appreciate and advocate for this change. So one important group is consumers. Patients, you know, there was a time when we didn't even write the names in English of the drugs, and patients were kept in the dark. But the patients, I think, uh, are really uh, demanding transparency about the reason for their drugs. And so I think patient advocacy, I think, is going to be an important one, uh, empowerment uh, to be able to even question, why, why, why do I have to take this for my depression? I read you could have other ways of treating depression. So and that's something, again, part of this time is right uh, change in terms of how 
patients are uh, included in, in the uh, medication decision-making process. I mean, they always were. They were always free not to take these meds, but we didn't pay attention enough to that. So another key place that we think is going to help drive this is if the, the EMR vendors take this on and, and redesign their systems to incorporate this. So even as recently as the last few weeks, we were at the HIMSS meeting, the computer meetings, talking to uh, the various vendors and and most of them seem to get it. It's just a question of uh, what we'll take to overcome the current inertia. And we're quite hopeful that that's another line of pursuit. Another way we are thinking in terms of IT is ways that we could help maybe re-engineer systems like we've done in our prototype that could sort of sit on top of some of these EMR systems that would uh, be like an app that could interface with an Epic. Uh, there's actually some companies out there that have started to do that, and we've worked with them. Right, yeah. David, anything you would add? Yeah, in some ways, the the push may come from from patients who really do want to know uh, what their medications are for. Patients now in their personal health records have access to their lab tests, for example. That's something they've said that they wanted for a long time. They really like it. They can now uh, look at look at their medication list. And I think that they're going to want to know why they're taking the, the medications that are, that are on those lists. Mary, anything that you would add? I agree. I think pharmacists have been on board from the beginning, uh, thinking that indications are a great idea to help them with both um, preventing medication errors and patient education. But maybe the providers were a little bit more reluctant. But our experience has been since starting this project and sharing all the potential with providers that we've had a lot of positive response to everything that we presented and examples we've been given. So I think that I'm really encouraged by the momentum and the positive feedback that we've gotten so far. Well, Gordon Schiff, David Bates, Mary Amato, thank you very much for taking time to have this discussion with me on your AJHP article. This program has been about a paper that reports on a major project that outlined what it will take to routinely incorporate medication indication into the prescribing process. With me have been Dr. Gordon Schiff and Dr. David Bates of Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and Dr. Mary Amato with the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. This is William Zelmer. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.